from the Shadows, the podcast of Tales from the Shadows, where the Shadow Girls tell stories and discuss storytelling and sometimes talk about the dogs as well. <laughs> oh, I'm Shannon, by the way. <laughs> oh, Rethi is Deirdre. Hello. Hi, and I'm Emily. Um, we have no dogs today. They are uh, they are off snuggling somewhere else. Aww. Yeah. So this, as you probably guessed from the title, is part two of Queen Maeve, where we're going to be discussing Queen Maeve's role in the tawn, but a few other things about Maeve, uh, because she is she is a huge character. Yeah. In, she's she's kind of the first female character that comes to mind when you say Irish mythology, mythology. Irish folklore. For most people, anyway. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. people think of Fanula from the Children of Lear, but mm. Maeve is kind of the big, strong female warrior mm. character. Yeah. She's the only um, reigning royal woman. Mm. Yeah. She's, She's a queen who a rules like a king. Sorry. She's the queen who rules like a king. Yeah. Yes. She is. And um, but interestingly enough, she holds this role for herself. But her interactions with other women, um, she doesn't want them to have the same status and the same rights as she demands for herself, particularly her own daughter, Finnebar. Mm, yeah. Of the fair eyebrows. Mm-hmm, of the fair eyebrows. Love that that was her most notable feature. <laughs> like, oh, she had lovely <clears throat> eyebrows. Great pair of <clears throat> eyebrows. <laughs> I like the idea of if Queen Maeve is sitting, standing next to the daughter, it's kind of like, Queen Maeve is this really strong presence. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's the girl. Oh, eyebrows aren't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Though it is interesting, the, the fact that she rules this strong female presence, but doesn't try to raise up other women. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, if you look at Queen Elizabeth uh, first, again... It's a similar parallel, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah she took the, the role of kingship herself, but then did nothing to ensure the position of other women. Mm-hmm. And even uh, Queen Victoria, again... Very anti-suffragette. Yeah, I think the part of that, a part of that, maybe that they try to become more manly than the men, so mm. they take on all these patriarchal ideas mm. and take them to the extreme to prove that they are as worthy as the men that they're trying to replace for a better, for want of yeah. a better word. Yeah, it's it's toxic femininity. It's mm-hmm. um, I'm a girl in a man's world, so I can't yeah. be seen as a girl. Like, I'm not like the other girls. Oh God. Yeah. <sighs> I remember having conversations before with other storytellers about the role that Queen Maeve has and if in her position if it was a man as such would he get away with the stuff that she's done herself mm-hmm. because it's the idea of there's that really strange balance within it mm. and you don't know could she have gone much worse would she have yeah. thing you just don't know because yeah. she even though she's like one of my favourite characters she's not a nice woman Oh no, she's horrible. Yeah. She is, oh, just particularly in her treatment of Finnebar, I just, in that whole story, that made me just hate her so much. Oh yeah. She uses her daughter as, like, a pawn in her political gains. Um, Mm. She doesn't allow her any agency of her Mm. own. She basically promises her to a load of lords and kings, <laughs> not telling the lords and kings that... Yeah, but promised her to... Which is kind of a made thing to do. Yeah. We talked in the last episode about her treatment of the three champions was, I prom- you can have this, but don't tell anyone else. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm giving her that voice. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> right, but um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, well, the beginning of the tawn. 
If you go back and look at the mini episode, you can hear the beginning, the beginning, the beginning of the tome, because it has a number of beginnings, told mm. by Shannon's, the story of the two pig keepers. But the tale of the tone starts not on a battlefield, but in a bedroom. And I think that's a story Shannon sometimes tells. It is. I actually told this story in Irish in um, Dáil Éireann, which oh. is, for anyone who's not from Ireland who's listening, that is our Houses of Parliament. So the Leprechaun Museum where we were, two of us were invited to come and tell stories in Irish. And I told this one, which is the pillow talk of Maven Aleel. And we might at some stage put you up on the Patreon telling it in Irish. Yes, Ooh. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> One night, as Maeve, Queen of Connacht, and her king consort, Aleel, were settling themselves down to bed, Aleel piped up with quite a peculiar comment. You know, Maeve, you're very lucky to be married to a man such as myself. <clears throat> How's that? replied Maeve. Well, I am the wealthiest man in all of Connacht, and well, all of your wealth is just woman's things you have. You have nothing independent of your own. And this, well, it did not please me at all. And Maeve replied, you, Elil, you're just the third son of the King of Leinster. I am the first daughter of the High King of Ireland. And I was independently wealthy before I ever met you, I'll have you know. I am the one who rules around here. I own all of the cattle and all of the people, and you need to know your place, Aleel. Now, Aleel, being a man, well, he didn't like this idea of being subordinate to his wife. So they bickered and argued and bickered and argued, and they decided that the only way to settle this argument was to count up everything they each owned and measure it against each other. First, they gathered all of their maps and they counted out all of their lands together, but they found that to the last millimetre, they were equal to one another. They then moved on to, well, their fine jewels, their great clothes, but they found to every thread, to every little ring and every diamond, they were the equal of each other. It moved on again to servants and to people who worked in the fields, then to pots, to pans, even to the tiniest little corn fork. Which, of course, they didn't have corn, but you know, you get the idea. Yeah. But they found that they were completely equal to one another in every way. Then it moved on to livestock. Every sheep was matched by another. Every duck was matched by another. Every pigeon was matched by another. But when it came to the cows, they were almost matched. You see, Aleel owned a great white bull called Finn Bonach. Now, interestingly enough, Finn Bonach had actually been born into one of Maeve's herds. But when the bull had found out that his owner was a woman, he wasn't too happy and defected to one of Aleel's. This bull was the only difference in their wealth. And Maeve, well, of course, she couldn't have this. This would undermine her power, having her husband own more. The whole condition of their marrying was that he was her equal in every way, that he wouldn't be jealous, and that we, he would be as brave as her in battle. So they decided 
that they would have to go up north, up into Ulster, to get the only bull in Ireland that was the equal of Finn Bonach, a bull called Don Coolia, the brown bull of Cooley. So it was that Maeve decided to travel up there. And thus began the Don Don Cooley, cattle raid of Cooley. Yay! Mm. I... I heard it from somewhere, uh, someone telling the story of it, but when all the jewels and things are brought in, the two of them are still lying naked in the bed and they're just having this procession walk through their bed. Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh God, they're doing it again. Right, okay, you grab that one, I'll grab this. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm also curious, like, how do they know exactly who owns every little thing? I, I, I imagine they put a stamp on it. Yeah. yeah. Little post-it this. notes. Like Maeve's it. pot. Yeah, exactly, that yeah, as well. <laughs> God. Yeah. A Leal's cheese dish. What happens? Oh my word. But you do have that idea of like, there was one thing I read about a Leal. Now you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but he was 17. Was he? I know he was younger than her, but I didn't know he was that much younger. Like I read somewhere in one of my books that he was... He was a lot younger. Yeah, mm. a lot, lot younger. So the idea of being him having the stronger stance because he was married to the Queen of Connacht. Mm-hmm. instead of being like the yeah like, it was also the down. only way that he could kind of gain any power for himself because mm-hmm. he was the third, third son, son of the king of Leinster yeah. he wasn't going to inherit any lands or titles yeah. from there yeah. and but, even like as we discussed before you didn't even necessarily if you were the first son inherit the lands if you were exactly, the third son yeah. Yeah. not and he had originally been Maeve's other husband's bodyguard mm-hmm. um, yeah he's like her third or fourth he's her husband third or fourth husband mm-hmm. yeah uh, there's one in the middle that sort of gets forgotten about because he was boring. Yeah, Ocad or Ecod? I, I I can't pronounce it properly. I got lost in um in Maeve's family tree. Mm-hmm. It's tangly. Yeah, but her first husband was King Connor Macnessa or Cahor Macnessa, King of Ulster. Mm. Yeah, um, the misogynistic git. Oh yeah, he's an awful, awful, awful. dude. Yeah, he. He sets up the Red Branch Knights, who are the famed warriors of Ulster, but he institutes a very macho warrior culture in Ulster. I mean, Ulster is sort of famed for its fighting men, mm-hmm. uh, because generally the land up further north wasn't as fertile, so they'd often go on raiding parties. But under King Colm and Nassie, it became very much the warrior cult, and women did not speak out, which is mm-hmm. why Emer, who becomes Cahalan's wife, is seen as so unusual, because yeah. she's... I think one of the only women in Ulster who has a voice and speaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So you can guess Queen and Maeve, Queen Maeve and King Connor didn't get on. Oh, no. But yeah. despite him being such a patriarchal git, he was a mommy's boy. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, Nasa's an interesting character to look at, even in terms of how Cormac Nasa becomes king it's all her doing yeah and normally your your Mac your father you're of your father he yeah. is of his mother he's Mac Nessa yeah very much a mammy's boy do you want to do you want to tell the the wonderful story of Cahor's mm. conception I haven't told this one in a while so I'll just kind of give a brief <laughs> overview of it one of the tales of his conception is so his mother Nessa was living with about 50 women or so and they had a druid there called Cothbod. Now Cothbod, he's like the straight man of the Ulster cycle. He's very much like, oh, something's gonna happen. Let's get out the popcorn. (laughs) I tried to warn them, but here we go. But 
Every day she would ask Gothbod, what is today good for? So sometimes he'd say, today is good for carding wool. Today is good for harvesting the blackberries. And one day he says, well, today is good for begetting kings. She looks around. Gothbod's the only fella about. So um, <clears throat> that happens. <laughs> But nine months later, she starts to go into labour. And Cuthbert says, oh, well, it's a pity you couldn't have waited just one more day. Because tomorrow's the day that the King of Kings is going to be born. So Nessa gets into the middle of a river, sits on a rock, and keeps the baby inside. <laughs> so he's born the next day. <laughs> Which is this whole relating, trying to put the Ulster cycle starting at the first century again the Christian monks trying to tie it into Christianity mm-hmm. so he's born on Christmas day yay <laughs> we'll celebrate Jesus and then so she's she's given she's given birth to her little baby she calls him Cahor or Cothbag or Connor depending on what version of the story and what version of the names you're using mm-hmm. and she decides he's going to be king yeah, yeah. Um, what she does is she marries the current king of Ulster on the condition that her son can be king for a year but he does such a good job that they don't want the old king back so he just remains king after that yeah uh, so he kind of sneakily gets the throne yeah, yeah he does uh the k- previous king of Ulster was fergus mm-hmm. uh, not fergus mcleahy of the leprechaun story no. fergus mcrock yeah you began with an r and surprisingly for most of the time he's pretty okay with the people have chosen another king. He serves mm-hmm. loyally until the straw that breaks the camel's back, which involves a Deirdre. Yes. <laughs> another Deirdre. Yes. Yeah. Um, the story of the Deirdre of the Sorrows is actually kind of a, a sideline story within the Tain itself, mm-hmm. within the Ulster cycle. It's actually, in Thomas Kinsella's translation, it's one of the Rage Gelta, ah. one of the prequels. So, um... It's called How Cover Was Begotten and How He Took the Kingship of Ulster. That's one of mm-hmm. them. Exile of the Sons of Vishnu. Yeah. Um, and that's Deirdre of the Sorrows. Yeah, that one. Yeah. It's um it's a very it's a very layered story in that of course it ties in with Fergus and there's Maeve, but there's also the boys from Ishnok as well. The boys of Ishnok are very good friends with the other knights of the Red Branch Army. And so there's an awful lot of betrayal and devastation and murder and just great theatrics it's a, it's it. a big tragedy it's a massive usually the way i present it to people when i'm telling the story i usually start off with and now i'd like to tell you the tragic story of my love life <laughs> i'm going to dear of sorrows a very quick summary of it to say the least was that um there was the root who announced that there was going to be a girl called deirdre born blonde hair green eyes but her beauty would be devastating for ulster so king connor mcnessa decided well, most beautiful girl in the world, in the in the land. Might as well marry her. Mm, yeah. Just forgot to hear about the but, disastrous bit. Yeah, it's really funny. So the prediction that the druid makes is like she will be the most beautiful woman Ireland will ever see, but she will cause the most blood to be spilt in yeah. Ulster. But Conor McNessa stops listening after most beautiful woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like it will be mine. Oh yes, and it's it's Cuthbert the druid as well. Yeah, it is. It yeah, is Cuthbert, because yeah. they're um they're all at you know. They're out of a house party, mm-hmm. having the things, and the, the host, his wife, is heavily pregnant. And then they all suddenly hear this scream coming from her room. They all rush in thinking, oh God, she's given birth. But it's the baby inside the her starting baby. to scream, mm-hmm. which is a terrifying image. 
Yeah. yeah. And it still doesn't make any sense why a woman so heavily pregnant was asked to either serve or even be an attendant when there was mm. all of this going on. of women in ancient Ulster. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the Everyone except maid was treated like shit. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's odd because you think Ulster would have learned about treating pregnant women, but that's a different story. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Let's, <laughs> get, let's get back oh, to, yes. to, to Deirdre. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Deirdre, um, the most beautiful woman is born and is declared that she's going to marry Cothbald. But Cosby just... Cahor. Sorry. Got uh, too many men. <laughs> too many men with names beginning with C. Yeah. Uh, um, so how does he ensure that she won't fall in love with anyone else, Deirdre? Well, like a love, in a great love story, he puts her, forces her into captivity with a nurse or a wise woman called Lavercham. And she is not allowed to speak or to deal with pretty much anyone her own age and specifically not with any other men either she's not even allowed to know what a man looks like yeah. or yeah. to know a man's name mm. which actually is a funny parallel with the mythological cycle story oh, yeah. um the birth of lou oh. but, um, so this is a far older story but balor of the evil eye keeps his daughter etna at the top of a glass tower because there's a prophecy that his grandchild will kill him so she's not allowed to know what a man is, not allowed to know what a man looks like, not allowed to hear a man's name. It's it's a just it's a general mythological thing of an older man locks up a young woman somewhere and declares no no boys, no lads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course if you lock a princess up somewhere, there is going to come a handsome young fella. Yeah. I still love it in the birth of Lou though, when it's um the wise woman dresses the just turns him into a woman. Yeah, you can just go in and out, and then all of a sudden, it's mm. the girl. It's the ethereal light. It's the in the glowing light. Mm. But the um in the so wonderful, in, it could be like wonderful queer readings of that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, but looking into more of sort of the prophecy element, there was a different take for Deirdre in that because the Lavercham was seen as this kind of wise woman, midwife kind of mixture of a woman. Mm. Um, she could teach Deirdre about all the birds and all the flowers and what the plants truly meant and their herbal remedies and what kind of help that they give of others. And um, when Deirdre keeps having this reoccurring dream of a person whose hair is as dark as the crow's wing, the skin has ro- these rosy cheeks. And of course, Labrador. It's basically yeah. male Snow White. Yeah. yeah. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Hair as black as a raven, skin as white as snow, lips as red as blood. <laughs> yeah. And a beautiful oh, singing voice. Oh, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Only the best. I like the idea of the birds are still singing and still talking to the ones in the story. <laughs> That's just me. Um, yeah, so when Avatam hears the description, she's like, oh no. <laughs> so we know who that is. It's one of the great knights of the Red Branch Army called Nisha. And I do feel sorry for Nisha in this store because he doesn't have as much of a backstory. Yeah. He's just known as Deirdre's lover when you try to research more about Nisha sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Deirdre, the girl that she is, demands, I will not eat, I will not sleep until I finally get to meet Nisha. So Lavertam caves in and sets up a meeting and the two of them fall madly in love. Or well, Deirdre jumps on him, grabs him by the ears and says, I put a gesh on you. <laughs> That is how I would do on a Tinder yeah. date. So that's how yeah. a storyteller so called Nisha tells it. You're grabbing a poor, unsuspecting Tinder date and like, I put a gash on you. <laughs> I think I actually did that in Burmese school. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, there was a, we were doing an Irish play and one of the girls I was, I knew at the time her cousin was in the group and instead of like hugging him, I just ran up and whooshed on him. <laughs> Very strange. 
And I think everybody had a crush on Matt at the time as well. He was one of those dark, mysterious types. What's his name, Nisha? Nisha. Was it Arnisha? No, it wasn't Arnisha. No, it wasn't Arnisha. No, 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 no. See, the the irony of uh, having what Stephen calls a rookery of storytellers is Mm. uh, very happy accidents happen. And they're myself and another one of our great storytellers is called Nisha. And the two of us are, we pretend we're work husband and wife. Because Deirdre and Nisha both work in a mythology we museum. We just need a Connor to join. No, oh my yeah. Yeah. terrible you imagine? To get a Connor. <laughs> but anyway, oh yes, uh, so yes. she's she's there in love. Yes, as a Gesh. she is. Uh, mm-hmm. She she's put the Gash on Nisha, and of course, a Gash is this eternal promise that you must keep um, as being a loyal warrior. In fact, when they hear of this, they decide to head off to Scotland, but they're not alone. They bring his brothers of Ishnock with them. Now, the Hill of Ishnock is a very important sacred site where an awful lot of our turn of the festivals would take place there. But this was truly the downfall, if you will, like you said. Um, because they decide to head off to Scotland. In every great Irish story, if you need an escape route, you just head off to Scotland yeah. and it's going to be your moments of peace. But it wasn't, because King Concor found word and he sends Fergus off to talk to Nisha to try to plea with him to come back. And he tries to willingly enough to entice them to come home and everything will be back. Yeah, because Connor promises, I'm not going to. No, I forgive him. I forgive him for stealing the woman I want to marry, exactly. even though I never met her. And Fergus gives his word to the sons of Ishnock that he will protect them and he will be you know, with them. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be hurt. And he's mm-hmm. the former king, so he's, he's got a lot of people who would follow yeah, him. Yeah, he's got a, you know, he's got that connection yeah. and he, the, the warriors are known for the loyalty. But um, as they return, no, of course, Deirdre is saying, don't go. I've been having dreams again. Just don't go. Mm-hmm. But the warrior inside of Nisha, he's just feels like he has to. He's homesick as well. Yeah, there's that too. I think one thing that gets ignored in that story a lot is the influence of his brothers. Because mm-hmm. like the brothers have no stake in their relationship. Mm. They're just loyal to their brother. But yeah. they... Like, they want to go home, they want yeah. to see their friends again, they want to get yeah. on with their lives. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, they, I, I just have this idea, it's 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 the same when it comes to Dermot and Grania. Mm. Like, because Dermot O'Dwyfno was a part of the Fianna, he just wanted to be back with his brothers. Yeah. Like, in name and in blood, but he still wanted to be, fight alongside them, because... Yeah. I always have this impression, when it comes to the likes of the Knights of the Red Branch Army or the Fianna, it's this real bond of a family and a brotherhood in itself and they were all fostered to each other as well there's that as well so like they a lot of them would have been if not blood brothers raised as brothers yeah exactly that so it's that feeling of like not just a feeling of loyalty but it's just missing Mm. that family bond speaking Mm. of family bond um is what Maeve makes Ku Cullen and Ferdia do oh word yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to that. Oh yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, Fergus comes and he persuades oh, yes. them. So yeah. Fergus explains, comes to them, saying, "Look, come back home. You're allowed to open freely. I've talked with Concor. We'll see what we can do." And so uh, the brothers and Denisha returned to Ireland, but they had an ulterior motive. Yeah. As soon as they get there, Fergus is invited to a feast, and he is under a guest that he cannot refuse when he's invited to a party. He exactly. has to go, <laughs> which means they've suddenly lost their bodyguard. Yeah. And there is a young man by the name of Owen who steps forward and wishes to complete the mission of Concor and he decapitates the three of them. Well, the, yeah. Owen, he's he's not a member of the Red Branch Knights. No, he's. But he wants to be? 
yeah. There's some, I'm, I'm not 100% clear on that. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of took it as... Is he, sorry? Is he Scandinavian? The one who actually kills Nisha? I think so, yeah. Yeah, mm. Scandinavians turn up in the stories and they're just generic Scandinavian yeah. a lot of the time as, like, the villains. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So the three brothers are dead. Yes, Cahal three grabs brothers. Nisha. Sorry, grabs... No, Nisha's dead. He's, he's lost his head. <laughs> um, grabs Deirdre and forces, yeah, forces her into marriage. Forces into marriage, but of course she resists because of one, what she's just after seeing in front of her, what that means for herself, what that means for her life, and that she can see what her life could be like in the eyes of Concord and Magnessa. And because there is this tension and tension and tension that builds, there is a moment in it that says, Look, who is the man you hate the most in in Ulster, in Ireland, who is it? Apart from me. Apart, well, apart from me, of course. Um, says, the man I hate the most. You're the second man I hate the most, but the first is Owen. So, Concor organises this plan where for a year and a day, she'll have to live with Concor, and then for the next year and a day, she'd have to live with Owen. But of course, this isn't the life that Deirdre ever wanted or had idea for herself. So, when she is travelling to head to the house of Owen, in the distance, she can see that through the window, she can see some rocks. And she throws herself from the moving carriage and smashes her own skull against the rock, as this was an act of sacrifice at the time. Because for the Celts, it was seen that the soul was kept in the head. So once she would be able to sacrifice herself, she would be able to be with her love once again. And she was buried alongside the grave of Nisha. But there was a tree that was planted in between the grave of the two lovers forcing that their love could not be. But the real beauty ending, the real sort of Roman Juliet ending, as we call it, is that the branches of the trees, although they came quite close from either grave, they still intertwined with each other and they were just connected for eternity. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, that's kind of the more... Uh, Cora went through a phase of like mm-hmm. cutting them apart and then they grow back together mm-hmm. and then he cut them apart and then his new wife was like, no, yeah. Just, leave, just leave it. Let it be. Let yeah. it be. Yeah. So. Um, but when this happens, Fergus, uh, he sees this as Connor has dishonored Ulster, has dishonored kingship mm-hmm. because he's forced. Mm-hmm. He's made Fergus break his word. Mm-hmm. He's broken his own word because yep. Cahor said he wasn't going to attack them, and then did a sort of red wedding on them. Mm-hmm. So Fergus defects to Connacht mm-hmm. with yeah. a, about half of the Red Branch knights follow him because they're they're sick of Cahor. Mm-hmm. And they go to Maeve because mm-hmm. Maeve doesn't like a whore. They don't like a whore, and they bond over their of their course. mutual hatred. Yeah, your enemies, enemies, your yeah. best friend. And Maeve and Fergus strike up a relationship because mm-hmm. they're both quite a quite a virile people. Like to Maeve with the friendly thighs. Mm-hmm. That kind of came into the bargain when you entered a um <laughs> a treaty with Maeve. Um, it was usually like. Oh, so I'll give you two thousand men and um <clears throat> the friendship um, of my thighs. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> a nice way of putting it. Yeah, uh, and he reveals a secret to Maeve, a secret that uh, was not known that there is actually a curse upon the men of Ulster. Mm-hmm. The curse of Maka. Yes, mm-hmm. going back to to the mistreatment of pregnant women, mm-hmm. because years before there had been a farmer called Crinnock, quite a wealthy farmer. You know, he had good land, he had cows, he, he had two kids, but his wife had passed away. And people started telling him he needed to remarry, but, well, maybe he was holding too close to the memory of his wife, or maybe he was too busy. But anyway, no interest in remarrying. Until one winter's night, 
when you're sitting in the house, a woman walks in. A fairy woman. She walks in with starlight in her hair, with summer on her lips, and she walks into his house as if it's her own. And just as if it's her own house, she begins to go about the house, making things safe for the night. She tosses out the foot water so no evil spirits can enter. She banks up the fire so it'll burn safely all night long. She tucks the kids in. And then the last thing she does is goes to Quinnick's room, takes off her dress, lies down, and waits. <laughs> and at last he sort of goes, okay, I better um, do something. So he, he walks to the door and he says, uh, who are you? What are you doing here? Um, what do you want? Can I get you a blanket? <laughs> and she says, my name is Maka, and I have come to be your wife, if you will be my husband. If you will love me, cherish me, and do not speak a word of me, I shall bring prosperity to your land, happiness to your children, and I will love you. All I ask is you love me, cherish me, and do not speak of me. And, well, um, Krennic lies down next to her, and the deal is struck. They become husband and wife. Maka brings prosperity to his lands, happiness to his children, loves him. And he, he loves her with all his heart. He cherishes her, but he doesn't tell anyone. People will ask him, why is he smiling? And he'll say, nothing, when he goes home to Maka. Doesn't tell anyone about his beautiful wife, about her magic, about how she can spin cloth out of starlight, she can run faster than the wind. He doesn't tell anyone. Till his call to the hall of King Conor MacNessa. Because <laughs> it, was, it was the time of year when men of note were to, to, to give accounts of themselves. And the men assembled and there was much feasting, much drinking and boasting. The men boasted their deeds on the battlefield. Their conquests with women and with men as well. But Grinnick stayed silent. Didn't breathe a word. Didn't mention Maka. Until King Cahor brought out one of his horses. And he began to praise the horse. No finer beast in all of Ireland. No faster creature. And at this stage, Crinnick had had maybe one too many. What does he do? He says to his neighbour, But my wife can run faster than that horse. And the whole... Chinese whispers mm. go along. Now... And the whispers go to the ear of King Connor. Who is not pleased. So mm-hmm. rises to his feet and says, Oh, let's have a little bit of sport. You reckon your wife can run faster than my horse? We're going to put it to the test. And if she can't, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so the guards go, they go to Krennic's house and they find Maka. And they also find that she is heavily pregnant. Pregnant with twins. But they still drag her to the hall and she turns to the men of Ulster and says, please do not do this to me. It isn't right. It isn't just. You can't race a pregnant woman against the horse. I will run the race after I've given birth, when I'm in a fit state. But the men, well, they're all shouting King Connors, race the woman, race the woman. And Maka tries turning to the women of Ulster and saying, women of Ulster, you, you have children. You, you who know how, how dangerous this time can be. Please don't let your men do this to me. But the women of Ulster just turn away. And Maka's dragged outside. And King Connor says they'll race three times. Three circles around the hall. And if Mac isn't faster, Krinnick is dead. And so they race. And well, Maka, she's one of the two a day. She's a fairy. She's a god. She can run faster than the wind. And the men watch as she runs around the first lap. They've never seen a, a human move so quickly. She's ahead of the horse, but when she crosses the finish line for the first time, she suddenly falls and screams because the babies are coming. 
but she keeps going. She continues to run even as blood flows down her legs, as she cries, as she feels like she's being ripped apart. She continues to run, even as she feels the babies twisting around inside her, coming out not in the right way. She keeps running. She crosses for the second time. She continues to run faster than the wind, faster than the horse. She crosses for the third time and wins the race, but loses the children. The two wet bundles that would have been her daughter, her son. They got tangled up and strangled each other trying to breathe. She lifts the body of her dead children. But before she takes them away to the other world, she places her curse on Ulster. And all there know that the words that are spoken by a woman in labour the words spoken in childbirth are stronger than the promise made to a beloved or the whisper on a dying breath. She puts down her curse that one day they will feel her pain. One day they will all know the anguish of Maka. Every man, every man old enough to grow a beard on his chin, every warrior, champion, member of the Red Branch Knights, in the hour of Ulster's greatest need, when the armies of their enemies assemble on the borders, they will all be struck for nine days and nine nights with the pain of labour. And the women, the women who wouldn't speak out, there will be none to speak for them. No one to defend them when the soldiers come, who will take without asking, who will pillage the land. All shall know the pain of Maka. And that curse remained on Ulster, a secret not breathed by any, until Fergus, lying in Maeve's bed, whispered it to her. Mm. So Maeve now mm. knows the weakness. Yeah. Although, who can't grow a beard? The Hound. Cuhullin, <laughs> oh, the Hound of Ulster. It's, it's, it's unclear whether he was too young to be able to grow a beard. Or if he just couldn't grow a beard. Yeah, Cucullin's life timeline is very oh, it's odd. It's timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. Yeah, nice. so if you go by chronologically, he was about ten months old when he killed the dog. <laughs> and then he was seven when he started wooing Emer. But then he suddenly jumps in about three years to 17. Yeah. Um. So it's... It's very odd. He stays 17 for a good long while he's, he, <laughs> until he's old. He, he just sort of, he is born a, a youth mm-hmm. and um, never deviates from that age. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's, he's semi-divine. He's, he's the son of a god. Yeah. But anyway, Maeve now knows the secret weakness of Ulster. Mm-hmm. And they've got the cow she wants. And she at first sends a messenger up saying, um, I, want to, I want to rent this cow. Mm-hmm. And they agree. Except then they get the messenger drunk to celebrate the deal and he says, it's a good thing you lads said yes because if you didn't, Maeve would just come up and take the cow. <laughs> and they don't like this so they say, on your bike. And he's sent back with no cow. Mm. And what does Maeve do? Like, I'm going to go take the cow. She gathers an army and Maeve, um, Maeve has her own army of Connacht but she's also, she's had a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. She's made a lot of alliances. Mm-hmm. So basically, the entire of Ireland is at her best and call at this stage. Oh. And she knows the secret of Ulster, so she marches up. And when she gets to the borders, they hear the cry, the scream, as every 
man old enough to grow a beard suddenly feels like he's going into labour. Amazing. Five days, <laughs> five It should minutes. be like a compulsory thing for men. You, there are those things that, that they yeah, like put electrodes on them. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, mm. no. Yeah. I still love it, though, because the idea of this, like, the for the, the curse itself, when the men are going through the pain and they don't understand what's happening to themselves and the body. In all the kids' books, it says, they went under a deep sleep. <laughs> and that's like, it, 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 it's a story I hadn't heard of till I start getting to know yourselves. And when I heard the story the first time, I couldn't believe the power of the story in it. Mm. Like, there's some people who say that the children survive, but in most of our versions of the story, mm. the twins, one called Ellen and the other one ended up being called Macca itself, yeah. which became the name of the fort oh, for the night. Yeah. Twins um, of Macca. Yeah, and it's um, it's so powerful, in fact. But you're just telling children, yeah. oh, the fellas just went under a big sleep, and that's how Queen Maid got yes, the ball. That's, that's the old um, Catholic Church. Or burglarisation. Things don't happen to women. <laughs> so everyone, okay. every every person growing a beard in Ulster is struck down with labour, apart from Cúhollán. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he goes on a guerrilla war tactic. Mm-hmm. And Maeve thinks, okay, there's one man who's not doing it. I've got, I've got a huge army. But he is terrifying. Uh, do you know like the description of him when he goes under his battle frenzy? Oh, oh well, like he turns yeah. into Hulk. There's yeah. this thing yeah. called like the hero's light, which great heroes will get. But Cucullin yeah. went through like a physical transformation where he basically turned into a werewolf. Yeah, like Cucullin's superpower is essentially he gets really, really angry. He is the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's it's every hair on his body stands on end and Except grows spikes. The chin. His jaw distends and grows loads of teeth and he's having a rictus grin and one eye grows so huge it pops out of the socket and lolls on his cheekbone and the other one sinks down so deep into his forehead that even a heron's beak couldn't pluck it out. His muscles bulge and you can see every knot and sinew. His knees turn backwards. <laughs> I love that one. The knees turn backwards. It just makes me think of like how a, how a dog or a wolf runs. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Which makes my, my thing of Cuhallin is a werewolf. And there's this whole th- thing that the Fianna might have been werewolves, but Cuhallin, I'm certain, is a werewolf. There's a um, brilliant description in Thomas Kinsler's Tawn translation where they're all sitting in a house and Cuhallin, something angers him anyway, which it often does. Mm. He's got a very short temper. He gets so angry that the cushion beneath him explodes and feathers fly through the house. He runs out the door and Cotbod says, this is troubling. Because <laughs> Cotbod is always there to give a bit of commentary. Yeah. I just have this idea of like the feathers just falling to the mm. ground and he's just sitting in the middle of the sofa saying, oh, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> so Maeve and her army are having this, this thing and they keep being terrorised by, by the hound. Uh, so Maeve, um, she goes and she makes a, she sends a messenger, she sends Fergus, because he is one of Cuhallan's foster fathers, to make a deal with Cuhallan. Because her army are like, there's a lot of them, they've been going off, they've been pillaging, they've been burning things and stealing cows. That the arm, they will fight in single combat, champion versus champion. And while the fight between the two champions is going on, Maeve's army will stand at a standstill. And so they, they assemble at this forge and Cuhallan stands there with his, his gay bulga, the, the spear that will explode in your stomach, and his charioteer Lee, who also seems to have escaped the curse of Maka somehow. Doesn't get mentioned how. The charioteer is just there. Oh yes, because he's known as um, 
Maeve had a description for him that he was so small and dark skin, but there wasn't any mention of a beard or the likes yeah, of it he, for, for Leigh. Leigh also escapes a beard, but doesn't get the same credit for it as Cuhullin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Maeve, Maeve can't find anyone who's willing to step up and fight uh, this semi-divine werewolf. Strange. <laughs> I wonder why. And this comes into the story of Finnevar and... I've forgotten his name. Colin's mate. Oh, dang. I forgot the two. Hang on. <laughs> let, me, let me consult the book. It's book corner. He's basically a fairy prince. Yeah, he's but... part fairy. Yeah. Uh... But because he's part fairy, he doesn't have any land. Or yeah. any... Um... He's no him. land with no road frontage. Fiac? I think there's a... There's yes. A f- F-E-O-C-H? Yes. There is a full episode of uh, Pordy telling the long version of the story, but this is the short version. Mm-hmm. Basically, they enter into... Finnebar and Feoch enter into what is essentially the ancient Irish version of Snapchat. <laughs> um, they start sending each other love letters, and they're like, oh yeah, let's meet up. So Feoch goes to introduce himself, but um, him and... Maeve. Well, Maeve has a bit of an eye for him because Maeve has a bit of an eye for everyone. And he is gorgeous. There's a description of it that he, he goes for a swim and mm. all the women of Connacht come out to look at him. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple of the men as well. <laughs> but Maeve, um, is like they're going to play the sexiest of all games, um, chess. Oh, there's <laughs> a description I found because I was actually reading this story on the way in. And there's a funny description of it saying, um, when the people of Connacht saw Fiach and his band coming o- up over the hill of the castle, all the golden silver dazzled their eyes. But Maeve's eyes were especially dazzled by the handsome young Fiach. After graciously accepting his gifts, she pulled out her golden chessboard with silver chess pieces and invited him to play. And they played without stopping for three days, three nights. Mm-hmm. And Fiach was careful to let Maeve win every single game. Yeah. There. Now, Finnevar gets a bit pissed off at hmm. this because he's like, you came here to talk to me and you've just spent the entire time with my mam. <laughs> and there's something about, she's like bathing in a river and he comes up to her yeah. and sees her bathing in a river, which is like the least creepy way to introduce yourself to someone. So anyway, he's like, no, I'm only here for you, blah, 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 blah. And they, well, they have a bit of a rough and tumble <laughs> anyway. And you've got to get dirty before you can get clean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you okay, Deirdre? Deirdre's just breaking down in laughter right now. <laughs> but Finnevar, of course, is being promised to every little petty lord and guy who has mm. 20 men behind him. And she's a major kind of pawn within mm. Maeve's scheming and plans. So Maeve does not want Feric and Pinabar getting together, going off and marrying, because then that'll ruin a load of her alliances. So she bans it, of course. As you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which neither of them are happy about at all. Uh, and there's a complicated thing of... Uh, Aleel comes up with a, a cunning plan for how to get rid of uh, Finnevar, which involves a ring he knows his daughter's given to Finnevar. Mm. Yeah. Uh and there's a there's a lake with a monster in it because of course there is. Mm-hmm. And Alil and Yohan are just standing there by the edge, and he says, "I bet you can't swim over to that tree there and pluck me a couple of berries." And of course, I mean, he's he's more than happy to strip off and jump into a lake, mm-hmm. so he does. 
But as he does so, the the, the monster comes out and starts to battle him, and he has no sword. And Alila like, goes to Finnevar grabs his sword, jumps into the lake with him, swims over, gives him his sword, and he kills the monster. And it's 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 all grand. But the ring that Finnevar has given your one, well, it's left on the bank, and Alil just picks it up and throws it into the lake, mm-hmm. and it's eaten by a fish. But Fairy Boy sees this. And knows, ah, right, this is going to come back to bite me somehow. Mm. Yeah, he catches the fish, keeps it, and then when mm. Alil demands that Fenivar show the ring, Fairy Boy, who I'm just going to keep calling him Fairy Boy, <laughs> um, <laughs> he turns up with the fish, the cooked, and they cut it open, and oh, look, there's it's the, the ring. ring. How did it get in there? I don't know, but it's here. He then has to go off and deal with another cattle raid because it turns out he has another wife who's been kidnapped and he has to go deal with that. Um, he sorts all of that out. Listen to the episode with Pawdy for the details. But then he's come back and Maeve is having this, this bit of an issue um, with you know Coholland standing in the middle of the stream going, fight me. And she says, well, whoever, whoever defeats Coholland may officially marry my daughter. Mm-hmm. And fairy boy's like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, sort of married to her already, but okay. And he goes into the stream to fight Cuhullin, and is slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And it's said that forty fairy women dressed in green arise and carry his corpse away to the other world. Mm-hmm. And this goes on for a while. Maeve keeps promising guys like, if you fight Cuhullin and win, you can marry Finnevar. Finnevar knows nothing about this. Uh, and day after day, champions fall in the stream to Cuhullin. But Finnevar has, has moved on and has seen another young lad whose name begins with F. Ferdia. Mm. Now, Ferdia is... His father is from Ulster, but his mother is from... No, his mother is from Connacht and his father is from Ulster. So he's sort of a, got mixed feelings about with this whole civil war. Yeah. And he was also Cuchulain's foster brother. Mm. So yeah. they were raised together. They went and trained, trained together. together. They may have also been lovers. There's yeah, a, that's definite. I'm, a, that's my head. Yeah, there's a yeah. very strong um, homoerotic subtext between the two of them, mm-hmm. and he is potentially the only person who could defeat Cuhullin because he has this weird. It's described sometimes as a horn or a hair or a, but basically his skin can't be cut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he could defeat Cuhullin, and he and Finnevar of the Fair Eyebrows have been, you know, giving each other looks and. But, he, but every time Maeve goes, who will champion, he, he manages to be, not be there. Yeah. So Maeve has noticed this, and she says, right, I'm going to weaponize the two things I've got. My sexy daughter and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she invites Ferdia to her tent one night, and Finnevar is there. And she lets, and Finnevar's quite happy because she's getting to sit next to Ferdia and her mother isn't flirting with him. Yeah. This is amazing. This is a huge plus for Finnevar mm-hmm. because her, her ma, she likes the men. Yeah. She likes using the men. Mm-hmm. Finnevar doesn't really get a look in an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who, you know, she actually likes and they've been talking to each other. And Maeve keeps pouring the wine and pouring the wine. And at one stage she says, well, it's no wonder you haven't volunteered to fight against Cuhallan. I mean, <laughs> you're too much of a coward. Mm. And Ferdia goes, I'm not a coward. I'm not afraid of Cuhallan. <laughs> if you weren't afraid of Cuhallan, you would claim my daughter's hand by fighting him. And he says, well, I will. And then he realizes, oh, fuck. Yeah. He's agreed. And the next day he goes out and the, the two of them are best mates. 
and they fight in the first battle they fight with the the short sword and they're each an equal match and when the fight is over they're still both alive and their charioteers build a fire together they sit they they share a meal even though they've been fighting to the death the next night day though they fight and they fight with spears and well they're both wounded but they they sit across from each other they don't share and Ferdia knows he's going to die tomorrow because yeah. Cuhullin has the gay bulga. Yeah. The gay bulga, despite its funny name, is a terrifying weapon because it's a spear made from the bones of a sea monster. And if you throw it in a certain way, while standing in water, with your foot, <laughs> it'll strike the softest part of the target and once penetrated through, explodes into hundreds of barbs, which means you can't pull it out. Yeah. So a horrible, painful death. And this and Ferdia has had nightmares about being killed by the gay bulga ever since he saw it. So before he goes into the battle, he he ties a heavy stone around his his middle in a hope that that'll protect him. But alas, it doesn't because they fight and they battle. And the Morrigan comes in as an eel at one stage and Mm -hmm. Colin just stomps on her. Uh, But at last, Cuhalan draws the gay bulga and penetrates Ferdia. I've read in one translation penetrates him through the anus, which I don't what? know how you manage what? that. Long Wikipedia rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I um, had not heard of that one. Yeah. Oh, but manages to strike the gay bulga through. It explodes into him uh, and Cuhalan, he carries his dying friend onto his side of the river and weeps as Ferdia dies in his arms. And Vinavar has watched all of this, has watched the her, her, her beloved die. And she comes to the realization that this isn't the first time this has happened. Mm, yeah. That all of these deaths are. She kind of blames herself and her beauty, and, on them. and her mother. Oh, of course, and her mother. <laughs> um, so she, she goes to a river and she tries to claw her own face off and to destroy her beauty, and she dies. Yeah. In some accounts, it just says she died of shame, but your thing of her trying to. Claw mm-hmm. away. I didn't know with the claw away bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she tries to claw her claw all her beauty off her face. That's mm. in one of the translations I read. Yeah. And um she dies in the river. Yeah. Maeve though isn't too put out by this. Mm. About her daughter di- dying in this way because she's she's seen an opportunity because Kuhalan is so struck down by, by grief at this stage that his father appears to him and actually puts him under a three-day magical sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which means there's no one to defend Ulster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except the boys' brigade. The boys' brigade were the, like, the young lads who were going to become members of the Red Branch Knights, so they're all like, you know, 10, 12. Mm-hmm. And they see Cúhalan is no longer standing, so they go into battle armed with their hurls. Yeah. And they are slaughtered. Yeah. Cut down in their prime. And when Cúhalan sees this when he wakes up he goes into his most ferocious battle frenzy and kills about half of Maeve's army mm-hmm. but she's managed to send some scouts off and they grab the cow <laughs> the this most whole, important bit this mm-hmm. whole thing has been over a cow mm-hmm. and they managed to sneak it back to Ulster in, in retreat Connacht from Ulster I get, I'm not good at geography okay. in retreat and she gets the cow and she's like hey I've got the cow I've lost half my army I've lost my daughter but I've got the cow so I can prove a point at Leo yeah. but what happens the cows kill each other yep the red bull and the white bull look at each other and they remember we used to be two a day down in herdsmen 
Mm-hmm. We were having a scrap over something. Can't remember what it was. The cow brain doesn't go that well. Mm-hmm. We were we were fighting. I know we were fighting. And I know we were angry with each other. And I think I've right, seen let's you do in this. a different form. And they <laughs> bellow out a great roar that is heard all through Ireland. And they charge at each other. And they charge all over the country. They charge mm-hmm. down to Cork and up to Belfast. And roaring at each other. Tearing up the land. And the white bull kills the brown bull. The white bull the horn. gores the brown bull to bits and then lets out a great victorious bellow and its heart explodes and it dies. Mm-hmm. So now both the cows are dead. Mm-hmm. This whole mm-hmm. civil war torn cattle raid. The only thing to show for it is blood. The thing about Irish folklore is that if you take the cows out, most of the of the things will be solved. Yeah, yeah. Like the, took... the the major sort of obstacle tends to be bovine related. Yeah. Cows are our catalysts, but I mean, if you took the cows out, we'd fight over sheep. If you took the sheep away, we'd fight over pigeons. Yeah, we like the reason like Ireland never had like tried to have an empire or co- conquer anywhere. We were too busy fighting each other. I mean, we we love a good scrap. Yeah, no. but when it comes to the scrap, though, like we've said it before, the idea of a gesh, a gesh only ever appears the sudden moment when a gesh is sort of activated. Mm. So when you're having yeah. this sort of internal struggle, you're like, oh, hang on, there's this bit that's going to happen as well. You can't pierce his skin, or hang on a minute, I can only kill him if I've got a boar's horn, yeah. and like that's mm, how you can kill him. Sort of secret, no one's read all the fine print. Yeah, exactly. And so someone like a druid, like Cothbar, would just show up and go, oh, by the way. Mm-hmm. You've got this this gash on you. You can't kill pigs. Yeah. I just I always have this image of Cockbod. Like he comes in, announces something devastating, <laughs> and then goes and makes the popcorn and just sits. <laughs> You'll go back to right, the feast. What you gonna do with this, lads? Hmm? Mm. Oh, oh, oh! Lock the girl up in the forest with a maid. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Maeve fights the torn. Doesn't win. But doesn't technically lose, so she cancels the victory. There are no winners. There are no winners. Oh, no. The Tawn is a how-not-to guide yes, no. to no. everything. And Maeve, of course, goes on and has many other stories and adventures and pisses lakes and is eventually killed by a piece of cheese. Yes. <laughs> from, from, from part one. From part one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, there's so many. That's a very, very brief summary of Maeve's role in the Tawn. Highly mm. recommend you go read the Thomas Kinsley translation yeah. is great. Yeah, it's a it's a really clear and good read. A lot of the other translations are very dry. Yeah. Mm. Um, but Kinsley's one is just it's beautiful. I love that and with gorgeous illustrations by Louis Labrocki mm. as well. There's also if you happen to be in Ireland and you see a group performing called Candlelit Tales, mm. they're they're a fabulous storytelling group. They tell stories with stories and they do a show called the shadow of the tone sometimes yeah. which is they retell the battle of the tone mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the full thing with musical accompaniment and it's and shadows not done by us but done by flights of fancy but it's amazing they now have a podcast mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it's on soundcloud their podcast up, is yeah. it's amazing look up I, I didn't think i'd actually like the sligo mm-hmm. accent but thanks to that <laughs> podcast i do yeah, yeah. but it's yeah. the amount of stories in it and i remember um it's Circa, isn't it? Who yeah. is the Circa and Aaron? Circa yeah. and Aaron. That's it. I remember um, Circa was doing a show. I her story. I can't remember if there was. Oh, there was a story about. I think I saw Ernst Tag's head one night, 
and she was telling the story about Cucullin. But when she was 17, she had this, she was convinced Cucullin was her boyfriend. And she was going on about the eyes and how mm. if he got really angry, he'd like let out the wolf, <laughs> like we said, and how he's got six toes on this foot. And I imagine his six toe foot is the foot that he puts into the water when he's yeah. using the game. Oh, God, no. um, but the amount of stuff that Zirka knows mm. is just yeah. incredible. It is um, incredible. And they do, they, like the live shows that they do, they have a guy called Oshin and a couple of others who play guitar and it's play music. other instruments. And it's beautiful. There's only one thing I don't like about their live shows. They're too pro Cullen. <laughs> <laughs> they are a little bit pro Cullen. Oh, yeah. But they have, I think one of their first episodes of their podcast is a live recording of them telling the shadow of the tone. Oh. And in the background, when they get, they get the audience to scream the battle cries and scream the cries of the bulls, you can hear myself and our, our storyteller friend, Nisha, both screaming in there. So see if you can pick out <laughs> our screams. I'll have to go back and listen to that now. Yeah. So, oh, oh that... That, that, that has been a, a brief dive into the adventures of Maeve and the Tawn. Mm. Uh, the Tawn, it's, it's got so many stories. Oh, there's, in it. Oh, there's, yeah. there's, you, That's very you can't get, you can't get I, I think Candle and Tales did actually spend like a year telling the Tawn and all of the stories mm-hmm. yeah. on just every, yeah. every Wednesday evening. Yeah. It, it could take you a year to tell the whole yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed it, you can find us various places. You can find us on social media at Tales from the Shadows. You will also be seeing coming up soon some hints and snippets of a new shadow show we have coming up Ooh. based on the stories of Oscar Wilde. Keep an eye on it. Uh, you can get in contact with us. Tell us if you liked things. Tell us things you did like, didn't like, things you'd like more of. Would you like more snoring doggos? Uh, if you really liked it, you can find us on Patreon. Mm-hmm. We're at Tales from the Shadows. Uh, we've got some lovely patrons giving us great support. Thanks to their support, we now have a beautiful website. Yeah, the website so is pretty. gorgeous. Please check it out. Yeah. Talesfromtheshadows.com. It is so pretty. It's designed and made by Georgia. Georgia, who's not here at the moment, but I'm still pointing at the space where she would be. Yeah. Georgia, you're here in spirit. Her website is beautiful, so please mm-hmm. do go take a look at that. It's magical. And we'll we'll be back with more stories at some stage. I've been Emily. I've been Shalom. I've been Deirdre. And we hope you don't start waging a civil war with your ex over a cow. Get prenup. Mm. And cheese. <laughs>